If you noticed in your bulletin there, uh, May the 6th, May the 6th, we're going to be having a baby shower on a Sunday. And you say, well, who's it for? Well, um, we are uh, a church that believes that mothers ought to choose life uh, uh, for that uh, child in their womb. And so uh, we want to put some action behind that talk. And so there's an organization in Bridgeport, Bridgeport called Hope Line. And they uh, help mothers who are uh, indecided on that to go ahead and decide to choose life. One of the reasons why mothers have a hard time is just all of the uncertainty. And part of those uncertainties are financial. So we're going to throw a baby shower for Hope Line. And so um, uh, there is a list on the back table in the lobby of all of the items that we need brought in on that day. And we ask that you please wait until May 6th to bring those items in. And that way, uh, we, we don't have to try to find a place to store those uh, uh, in the meantime. But uh, please participate in that baby shower. It's easy to stand up and say that we're against abortion or that we're pro-life. But uh, if you're not willing to put your money where your mouth is, then, um, uh, then talk is cheap. Amen? So uh, the list is on the back table. I'd encourage everyone to stop by and pick that up. In the next couple of weeks, we'll be putting in a bulletin insert with more information. So uh, please pay attention to that and the other announcements that are in there. Let's stand this morning for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 1 and verses number 18 through verses number 20. We're going to do something different this morning. We're going to begin by reading together. And then I will read verse 19 by myself. So we'll read verses 18 and 20 together. And I will read verse 19 on my own. So uh, beginning together, verse 18. Ready? Here we go. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Today I want to preach a sermon entitled this, The Greatest Husband in the Bible. Now this is my opinion, okay? The greatest husband in the Bible, and in my opinion it is, Joseph, Mary's husband. Let's pray. Lord, I ask this morning as we look at the uh, role of being a husband, uh, how important and vital and fundamental it is to our society. Lord, to your creation of us as humans. And Lord, um, I pray that you'd help us as we consider exactly what it is that you'd have us to, to be and do as men that are married men. And then, Lord, the men here that are not married but may one day be. And then, Lord, for the ladies that are here, may they know what to look for and expect uh, from a godly and biblical husband. Be with us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. <coughs> Over the next month, I am excited to present to you several sermons that I pray will, um, will make your family more biblical, your home more biblical. A biblical marriage is a joyous marriage. A biblical uh, a parenting that strictly follows the model of the Bible is successful parenting. It, it, that's not left for, up for debate. Either you're, you're, you're doing marriage the Bible way or you're not. 
Either you're parenting the Bible way or you're not. And if you are doing it the Bible way, then your marriage is happy and your parenting uh, will end up being a happy experience. If you're not doing it the Bible way or if there are aspects of your marriage or of your parenting that are not the Bible way, then there will be strife and contention and uh, problems caused from pride and sin. Now, individuals within a home that seek to follow the Bible's instruction is a home that will operate in perfect harmony. If every individual in your home will seek to follow the Bible's instructions for their life, then what you'll have is a harmonious and happy home. To those of you here that are married, let me ask you a question. How functional is your marriage? Now, I didn't ask you how many years you've been married. You can be married for 50 years and not have a functioning marriage. Sleep in separate bedrooms. Hardly communicate with each other. You plateau in a marriage 30 years ago and you never, you never press forward. It's stagnated. Um, there are levels of marital bliss. I'm going to give you uh, four levels of marital bliss. And uh, th- uh, you'll have to write them down as I give them uh, here. They're not going to be up on the screen here. But here they are. Uh, we'll t- start with the top level. All right. A thriving marriage, a thriving marriage, a tolerated marriage, then there's a troubled marriage, then there's a terminated marriage. A thriving marriage, a tolerated marriage, a troubled marriage, and a terminated marriage. 80% of marriages are either troubled or tolerated. 80% 80% of marriages. Um, most marriages are not thriving. Most marriages are not thriving. And what you find is that marriages that are thriving, you will sense toleration beginning to seep in and you'll fall back to the level of toleration. And once you've settled there, and then you'll see yourself falling down to the level of a troubled marriage. And then from there, a troubled marriage, uh, Satan wants nothing more than to turn that into a terminated marriage. Now, why is a thriving marriage so rare? Why is a thriving marriage so rare? Again, introductory thoughts here. I'd encourage you to write these down. Thriving marriages are rare because of sin, because of Satan, and because of societal attacks. Sin, Satan, and societal attacks. Genesis 3 explains that marriage was created by God and is the first and fundamental institution of mankind and womankind. Let me say that again. Genesis chapter 3 explains that marriage is God's creation. God created marriage. Our, our, our court system did not create marriage. They don't get to define marriage. God created marriage and He designed it to be between one man and one woman and He wanted them to be together for life. That is God's plan for your marriage. He created it and that union between a man and his wife, that is the fundamental institution of all of our uh, uh, being, of all of mankind. Whether you speak the same language as I do, whether you have the same cultural habits I do, God has created marriage between a man and a woman to be the staple, the fundamental thing that makes societies thrive. Ephesians 5 takes it a step further and tells us that marriage between a man and a woman is a picture of Christ's relationship with his church. He calls the church his bride. And so he is the groom and the church is the bride. 
your marriage this morning. And if you're not married, your potential future marriage this morning. Every marriage has a target of destruction on it. Satan wants to pull it down. Figuratively speaking, Satan wants to hang your head on his wall like a trophy. Now listen, I know I'm speaking to a whole lot of people that aren't husbands today. I want you to sit up and listen because what I'm going to say, you need to hear. I'm speaking to a lot of people today uh, who um, uh, aren't married. And you think, this has nothing to do with me. And I say, it has everything to do with you. If you hope to be married one day and you are a man, then this is the standard that you need to live up to. If you're here today and you're a woman and you hope to be married, you need to know what to look for in a man. And if you're here today and you're a married woman, you need to know how it is you can encourage your husband to be more like the biblical model of Jesus. If you're here today and maybe you're a widow and your your husband has passed or you're a widower and you don't see yourself getting married, you say, well, what in the world does this have to do with me this morning? And I'm here to tell you that you need to help teach the generations to come what biblical marriage looks like. Everybody here today can benefit from the message this morning. Now, if you hate an institution, whether that is a company, uh, whether that is um, uh, uh, some ideology or philosophy or or religion, how do you ruin that institution? You ruin it by destroying and discrediting its leader. That's how you do it. You go after the leader. Um... Fifty to a hundred years ago, our country was labeled a patriarchal country. What does that mean? That means that that means that the husband, the father, the men were the leaders that ran the show. Um, that's hardly the case anymore. We are very, very quickly, if not already, a matriarchal country. I'm not here to be little women. Please understand that up front. Tonight, I'm going to speak about the greatest wife in the Bible. And I'm going to elevate that position, and I'm going to elevate people to, to elevate women. Let me just pause here. Um, we have uh, helicopters doing work on the power lines around here. They came by and let us know that they're behind on a deadline, and so that they're going to be working today. I didn't really get a say in the matter. I opposed it. Uh, they smiled and said, I'm sorry, we're doing it. So um, the helicopter is probably interfering wireless signal. Can you just put me on the uh, the uh, mic here, and uh, we'll take the wireless away. So that's why that's probably that's why that's been dropping off. Um, we'll look into it uh, more in a minute. But back to the sermon here. I, look, I'm not here this morning to belittle women. I'm not here to put down the role of the woman uh, uh, in our country, in our society, in our home. It is uh, it is an important role. And uh, tonight we're going to look very closely at that. We're going to elevate what I believe to be the greatest wife in the Bible and talk about how uh, she was a godly example and followed the Lord and how we can model after that. This morning we're looking at husbands and we're talking about the role of the husband in the home, the role of the husband in the marriage. And for the sake of this sermon this morning, please understand that Satan has launched a great attack against manhood. He's launched a great attack against husbands. He's launched a great attack against fathers. He's doing everything he can to invert the roles that God created of the man being the leader and the woman being the follower. Um, and let me give you some statistics this morning that are concrete, factual. 77% of all suicides are committed by men. 
77%. 40, that is a 43% increase since 1997. 90% of those who are incarcerated in our country are men. 90%. Out of 10 people sitting behind bars right now, 9 of them are male. You say, well, why is that? Why are uh, male suicides up and why are men being incarcerated at a 90 percent clip up against women? Well, let me uh, 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 float out to you a couple of possibilities here as to why. One of the reasons may be our educational system. By the time our boys reach high school, one in five, currently one in five are diagnosed with some sort of hyperactivity disorder that is compared to one in 11 with girls. There are 7 million adult men who have completely dropped out of the labor force. These are not receiving unemployment benefits. They aren't even looking for a job. There's 7 million men totally out of work and have, I'm talking between 18 and 55, have no desire to go back to work. Young adult men are more likely to live with their parents uh, uh, than with a wife. And that's not the case for women. Women are more likely to live out on their own and to buy their own place while young adult men just live with their parents. Um, in, in the workplace, we've gotten to a place in our country where the majority of managers are women. And women are now scoring higher on IQ tests than men are. Over the last couple of years, half of all men that attempt the physical fitness test of the Army at basic training fail over half or approximately half can't even pass the physical fitness test to get into the army. 70% of men are considered overweight or obese compared to 59% of women. And the main male hormone uh, has seen a 1% decline a year since 1987. The average 40 year old today has 30% less testosterone than a 40 year old did in 1987. And these lower male hormone rates, what do they lead to? They lead to higher depression. They lead to lethargy. They lead to overweight and they lead to laziness. Why is the Western culture male falling apart? Why is that happening? I'm going to tell you why I think. I think it's because Satan and society are doing everything possible to tear apart the man and to tear apart marriages. If Satan can destroy God's chosen leader of the home, then he has destroyed the home. If Satan destroys the home, then Satan has won a great battle against God. So the question this morning is, how do we put it all back together? How do we use men? How do we rather how do we how do us as men counter the culture? The answer to all of life's problems are found right here in the pages of the Bible. And he has given us a book full of stories that tells us uh, how to and how not to live life. This morning, we're going to talk about being a godly husband. Tonight, we're going to look at the ladies and we're going to talk about being a godly wife. I'd encourage you to be back tonight. I would encourage you, whether you are a wife or not, to be here tonight. You say, well, I I don't think I'll ever get married or I was once married and that didn't work out. And and the last thing I want to do is come tonight and be guilt tripped. And I want to say to you tonight that if you have influence on the next generation, I mean, I'm I implore you to be back this evening. Uh, I believe that Joseph, Mary's uh, uh, husband, provides a sterling example of a husband who did marriage God's way. 
He faced many difficulties and he was able to maintain purity with his wife before and after marriage, tenderness toward Mary's needs an obedient heart to his God and the heart of a lion to stand up against evil. Joseph can and should challenge every married man here to be a be- to be a better husband. If you're not a husband here this morning, uh, the message is also for you. Society and Satan have worked hard to destroy God's model. We must uh, we must all turn in our faulty, broken thinking to God and allow him to renew our minds. All right. Before I jump into the outline, let me just say this here this morning is that all of us, whether you've grown up in a Christian home or not, all of us on some level have some faulty thinking about how the roles of husbands and wives work. All of us have been brainwashed or pulled a little bit the wrong direction by society. And so I'm asking everybody here, whether you're young or old, whether you're married or not, to bring your idea of marriage and marital roles to the Lord this morning and lay them down and allow the scriptures to teach us how we are to do these things. So let's dive in and we're going to look at four strong character traits that Joseph exhibited that sets him set him up to possibly be one of the greatest, if not the greatest husband in the Bible. Point number one in the message this morning. Notice his character toward Mary, his character toward Mary. Look down with me at Matthew one, verse 18. And I'd encourage everyone here to use their Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, um, yeah, there's a Bible provided in the pew in front of you. Please uh, uh, open it and follow along in the passages as we read. The Bible says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph before they came together. Everybody see those words before they came together. She was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Meaning what? Meaning that Joseph and Mary were virgins. Joseph and Mary were pure. Joseph and Mary were practicing practicing abstinence. Look down at verse 24. Verse 24. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and knew her not. That means he didn't sleep with her. Knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name, Jesus. Now, I'm going to be uh, I'm going to, uh, to attempt to be careful with what I say this morning uh, on this topic. But let me just say this is that if your child, if you have a child in here and uh, he leaves asking you some questions this morning, listen, I promise you, your child is berated with this all the time. Your child hears about this all the time, whether or not your head's in the, in the stand and you know about it or not. And it's time that we hear these truths, these principles in a way that's positive and biblical and not just the berate of. Of, of, of sin and and, uh, and and looseness and sensuality that we're berated with on a daily basis. Now, many marital problems are caused by a lack of trust between husbands and wives. We live in a day and time where men don't trust their wives and, and uh, women don't trust their husbands. Now, why is this? Let me just say to those of you this morning that aren't married yet, those of you that are married, uh, Either this either this was or wasn't the case. And so I'm not here to put you on a guilt trip. But I think those of you that uh, did not practice what I'm about to preach on, you, you probably look back and wish that you had. And you would want me to encourage the next generation. So if you're not married yet, please listen intently to this here. If you if you and your future spouse 
will both practice sexual purity to and through the wedding altar. I'm not talking about just being pure to the wedding altar. I'm talking about having a pure heart and being pure with each other well past the wedding altar. To and through the wedding altar, uh, then you should each, uh, then what will happen is you show each other great self-restraint. You show each other great self-restraint. Let me tell you, when I was dating my wife, boy, she was so beautiful. I found her so attractive. I still do. Uh, It got to a place where I was so physically attracted to her. The last semester of school, I went uh, home to Baltimore. I put 700 miles between us because I was determined to make it to the wedding altar with my purity and her purity intact. And we did not want the temptation uh, there to trip us up and cause that to be lost. You say, well, pastor, uh, uh, that means that you were experiencing weakness in that time. Yes, I was experiencing weakness, but I had enough common sense and I had enough godliness to put some space between us to make sure that we got to the wedding altar pure. And I'm here today to tell you that that uh, uh, sense of purity that we both brought to the wedding altar that day, that has provided a great sense of trust between from me to her and from her to me. Let me just lay it out plainly for you this morning. The Bible teaches very strongly that premarital sexual relations are is a sin. The Bible also teaches that extramarital sexual relations are sin. The Bible also teaches that pornography and lust is a sin. Matthew 13:4 or rather Hebrews 13:4 says this marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Your ability to be able to show purity and restraint between you and your future spouse one day comes down to this question. Do you have the character from God to be able to show that self-restraint? Let me also add in this here while I'm on this is that many of society's problems would be fixed by one simple change to the norm, to societal norms. If we could put physical intimacy back inside of marriage, if we could make that uh, the rule and not the exception, people would get married younger. Marriages would stay together longer and baggage and mistrust in marriages would dissipate or all out disappear. The truth is today, men wait until men and women wait until they're in their mid 30s to get married. And the reason is, is because men can go get what they want when they want and they don't have to wait. Used to be 50 years ago, if you wanted to be with a woman, she wasn't going to be with you unless you married her. And so what happened? Men married women at a younger age. I think a, 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 what uh, a, a big difference between a faith-based marriage and a, a secular-based marriage is that a faith-based marriage teaches that in marriage you lose your individuality in each other. Listen, I'm not about being uh, uh, Richard and Angela. No, we're trying to weave our lives together. And the longer that you wait to get married into your adult life, the more of an individual you become and the more difficult that weaving process is. And I'm here today to tell you that if uh, you find the right person at a young age and if you're able to get married at a young age, listen, I know that's not possible for everybody. and I know that's not God's will for everybody. But if that opportunity arises, don't kick that down the road while you try to establish a career. Establish yourself as a couple as a young age. And if we could take marital intimacy and leave it in marriage, I'm telling you today, much of what's broken in our society would be fixed. Now, today, I'm here to tell you that you cannot change your past transgressions. 
You cannot change impurities in your past. But you can commit beginning today to be a man that has character. You can, com- you can commit beginning today to be a husband that is pure toward your wife. I'm here to tell you, if you've been married any length of time, that you understand that uh, when it comes to uh, that, the, those aspects, the, uh, the physical aspects of marriage, you understand that there are going to be times where you've got to show self-restraint in short periods of celibacy. And I'm here today that your wife will feel much more protected and loved if she knows that you can behave yourself when she's sick or pregnant. Joseph had great character. He had a backbone of character. And what we need in America today, what we need in this church today, what we need is men in each of the homes represented today that has a backbone of steel, a backbone of principle, a backbone that says, if the Bible says it, that's good enough for me. I'm going to live by it. Joseph had character toward Mary. Number two, notice his carefulness with Mary. His carefulness with Mary. Look back with me at Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 19. The Bible says, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. Now, this was a difficult spot that Joseph had been put in. Joseph here is engaged to Mary. And uh, Mary comes to him and Mary says to Joseph, Um... I'm pregnant. Now, Joseph said, well, I I know one thing's for sure. I'm not the father. And and so that must mean you've been fooling around. Well, fooling around in this time was much worse than fooling around today. How many of you here ever read the book, The Scarlet Letter? Anybody here ever read that book? You know about it? I mean, at least understand the premise of the book. Um, You were an outcast. In the Judaism, if you were fooling around, you were not today. The the norm is that uh, you 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 give up your purity prior to marriage, whether that's with the person that you are going to marry or uh, just with whoever at whatever age. And, you know, in in societal norms today, if you're dating someone by the third date, you know, by the at the at the latest, the third date, if it's serious, then the two of you are going to be intimate with each other. That's just societal norms. And it's crazy. It's sinful. It's wicked. It's awful. But that was it was just the opposite back then. In fact, if you were going to fool around, it was private. It was hushed. And you sure better not get pregnant. In fact, if you were found pregnant out of wedlock and it was from fooling around on your fiance, you could be stoned to death. You remember the story of the lady that was drugged in front of Jesus for committing adultery? All the Pharisees and Sadducees had their rocks. They were ready to wham, to throw them at her and kill her. They weren't fooling around when it came to you being uh, promiscuous. They weren't fooling around with that through the Mosaic law. Joseph was in a tough spot. Joseph very quickly could have gone and grabbed Mary by the arm and drug her into the synagogue and drug her before the council and said, she's been unfaithful. She's pregnant and had her stoned. But Joseph was careful. Joseph listened to Mary's explanation about the angel and and the and, and the the Holy Spirit placing baby Jesus inside of her, and he, I, I, by reading it, he seemed quite skeptical. 
I wonder how many people would try that one before. I, I'm pregnant, but I'm pregnant with a Messiah. Yeah, okay. Sure you are. Um, Joseph didn't rush to judgment. Joseph showed a lot of grace. Joseph showed a lot of carefulness with Mary. Some other words I could have put there instead of carefulness for point two. This point could have been uh, his courtesy toward Mary. It could have been his consideration for Mary. It could have been uh, his cherishing of Mary. All of those adequately describe the point I'm trying to make here. He cherished her. He, instead of just dragging her in front of the synagogue, his way of handling this was going to be to put her away privately. Not kill her privately, to hide her from the wrath of the law. Let me ask you a question this morning, husbands. Do you cherish your wife? Or has marriage just become like hand in an old glove where it's just the same old, same old, where you're not growing? Are you growing in your love with your wife? Um, Let me ask you this. Do you open the door for her when she gets out of the car? Do you hold the door open for her when you're coming into church or when you're going into the store? You say, no, I just go to stores that have those automatic doors. I don't have to worry about it. Shame on you. Open the door for her. Let me give you some other courtesies of yesteryear that I think probably ought to be brought back. You ought to walk between her and traffic. You're walking into a store. Look, you put yourself in danger to protect her. You say, oh, I'm not going to get hit. Neither is she. It doesn't matter. It's the, it's the sign of showing her that you care for her. Um, how about this one? Hold her hand in public. Hold her hand in public. Now, don't go be a bonehead and then try to hold her hand. All right. You be loving and sweet and then you hold her hand in public. Um, when you're going up a staircase, you ought to let her go first. That way, if she trips and falls, those, you know, 19 inch high heels that they wear, she falls back on you and she doesn't fall down the staircase. How about this one? You go down a staircase before her so that if she trips, she can put her hand on you to catch her balance. You say, do those little things matter? The little things matter. The little things greatly matter. Say, I want you to have a backbone of steel when it comes to your principles and your character. But boy, uh, uh, Joseph just wasn't a man of restraint and purity and character. Joseph was a man who was careful and considerate and kind and showed courtesy and cherished his wife. Here's one. How about that you always use a cherishing tone that fills her heart with honor? Look, don't berate your wife. Don't talk down to your wife. Don't treat her like she's something, something you step on. You talk, with her, talk to her with a cherishing tone. You make sure she always feels cherished and honored. Here's one. How about you approach marital intimacy with her needs ahead of yours? And if you're taking notes this morning, I'd encourage you to write this statement down. Good relationships are built on good habits. Good relationships are built on 
on good habits. And so if you want a solid relationship, then you've got to get in the habit of doing things that are solid. If your marriage is a mess this morning, it is because you have allowed all kinds of bad habits to seep in and take root in your home. I'm here to tell you this morning that you need to have a backbone of Deal when it comes to your principles and character. However, you need to have that balance. You need to show a balance of that firmness and stubbornness with a tender heart that seeks to cherish and honor your wife. What I'm saying to you this morning is that you need to be a ball of steel that's wrapped in velvet. You need to be that ball of steel that's character and principles and you're going to take a stand for what's right. You're going to do what's right. You're going to follow the Lord. You're going to obey the Bible, but you're going to be a you're going to have a layer of velvet around you so that you can treat your wife with the utmost care and utmost cherishing. Number one, we see Joseph's character toward Mary. Number two, Joseph's carefulness with Mary. Notice number three, his compliance toward God, his compliance toward God. Look at Matthew chapter one, verse twenty four. The verses on the screen, I, I sent the wrong ones over there to uh, Pastor Dave. So the, the correct verses should be 24 and 25 there. Look there, the Bible says, Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. No, it should have been 19 through 21. Look back with me at uh, verse... I put the wrong ones in my uh, Bible there. All right. Let me, uh, I print the verses in my Bible each week. Let me go back and look. So the screen's correct. Look at, look at verse number 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, uh, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she uh, shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And the emphasis this morning isn't on Jesus. Uh, while Jesus obviously was born through the womb of Mary, and Joseph was his daddy and stepdad, and, and uh, Jesus would live and die on the cross. The emphasis this morning is on the Christian home. And I just want to say to you this morning, we, we, I think what happens is Jesus is such the hero of the story that, that a shadow gets cast over Joseph. And we fail to forget how difficult of a spot this put Joseph in. I want you to picture yourself in Joseph's spot and realize that him staying with Mary, what this would do. This was going to cast, this was going to damage his reputation. You understand that this morning? Everyone's going to say, oh yeah, Joseph and Mary, yeah, they were fooling around. Again, not a big deal today. Maybe at church, not outside the walls of the church, it's not. But back then it would have been handled the same way outside the walls of the, church, of the synagogue that was handled inside the walls of the synagogue. You did not get pregnant prior to marriage. That was not the norm. And everyone was going to look at Joseph like, uh-huh, yeah, 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 sure she's pregnant with the Christ child. Uh-huh, you two have been fooling around. However, if Joseph puts Mary away, he can keep his reputation intact. Do you see here? 
that by being obedient to God and by staying with Mary, how this was hard on Joseph. Do you see that this morning? Not only uh, uh, was this going to damage his reputation, this was going to deepen his responsibility. We live in a day and time where men run from responsibility. How many men will get a girl pregnant and disappear? Oh, it happens every day. It happens all the time. How many men, when the marriage gets tough and things don't go the way they like, the way they want, they just go get a divorce and they run. And then they just watch the kids on the weekends and do a terrible job of it at that when they show up to get the kids to do that. Uh, uh, we, we, we have a society full of men who run from their responsibility. And I've got to say this morning that Joseph was being handed a tremendously tough responsibility. He was being told, it is on you, it is on you to make sure that God, in the form of a baby, doesn't get dropped. You're holding that baby in your hands, you better not drop him, that's God. You've got to make sure that there's a roof put over his head and food put in his mouth. A lot of men would have ran from that responsibility. For Joseph to stay with Mary, this was going to alter his lifestyle. And I don't know that Joseph fully understood how much it would alter his lifestyle, but you have to believe from the onset that by him being obedient to God here and following God, this was going to make his life difficult. And he had to have known that on some level. Now, you notice here in the story that when Joseph awoke from his dream, he just simply obeyed. He didn't question any of it. He just got up and did it. You know why? Because God is a God of impeccable order. Let me say this morning that when it comes to me and all the other husbands in the room and future potential husbands in the room, and I especially want the young men in the back of the auditorium to make sure you're sitting up straight and tall and you're listening to me today, because uh, there are a whole row of you this morning that this uh, would apply to. And you you really need to make sure you're hanging on this this morning. And here is the role that God has created, the system that God has created. And that is that God created the woman to complete the man and God created the man to commune with God. Let me give you that again. God created the woman to come along and complete the man and God created the man first and foremost to commune with God. So what is the structure? What is the order of the home? It is God first, husband second, and the wife comes under that. The God first, the husband submits to God, the wife submits to her husband and to God. God, husband, wife. God, husband, wife. You say, I don't like that. That's the anti-feminist. And I'd say that the whole anti-feminist movement is filled with rebellion. It's filled with anti-Bible people. And I'm here to tell you today, if we'll do it God's way, what we'll find is great joy and bliss in our hearts and our homes. We need What we need, listen up men, what we need are some men who will kindly but firmly take a stand for righteousness in their homes. I'm talking about this morning a stand for church attendance. I, I, I'm sorry, but I think that what's happened by, by this time, by this day on the calendar, is that Satan and society have so emasculated men that men do not know how to stand up and put their foot down on a Sunday morning and say, we're going to church. Get the kids ready. We're going to church. What we have are a bunch of mealy-mouthed men who say, well, is everybody feeling up to going to church today? Oh, you got a hangnail? Okay, well, I think we'll all stay home. We need some men to grow some hair on their legs and say, we're going to church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Let me say that again. Sunday morning, 
Sunday night and Wednesday night. You say, oh, but pastor, I grew up Catholic and the Catholic tradition is that you only go once a week. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that we're supposed to go more as we see the day approaching. More. Um, For many of you, you are saved out of the Catholic Church. You put your faith and trust in Jesus. You've been baptized in the baptistry pool uh, here in another church. And you you are on your way to heaven. And you have left the Catholic Church behind. But I'm, I'm afraid that many of you here have not left the tradition of only going to church once a week behind. And that's a Catholic tradition. And that's not that does not fit the model of the Bible. If you don't, if you need a Bible verse on that to study, I would encourage all the men in the auditorium to do a study on Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25. You are not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. That means when the church has a corporate service where everyone's invited to come, you are not to forsake that. And you're supposed to come to church so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day is that? That's the return of Jesus. That's the rapture of the church. We're supposed to take a stand for church. And what we need today are some men who will stand up in their home and have a backbone and say, listen, I'll be uh, I'll be kind about how I say it. I'll be nice about how I say it. But we're going to church. Get the kids ready. We're going to church. We need some men that will take a stand against worldliness in the home. I mean, a stand against the wrong kind of music, music that glorifies self, sin and Satan. A husband that will say we're deleting Spotify accounts, we're deleting Pandora accounts, we're checking Apple Music. We're not going to allow uh, earphones in the kids ears because we have no idea what they're listening to. We're not going to listen to music that doesn't glorify God. We're going to delete the preset stations and change them. We're going to listen to music that glorifies the Lord. And we're only going to listen to music that glorifies the Lord. And you don't have to be mean about it. My friend, you can take a stand for what's right. God made you to be the leader of your home. It's time for you to be compliant to the Lord and to lead your family to do the same. I'm talking about men that take a stand against worldliness when it comes to dress. Sometimes I see a 16 year old girl walking around the mall and she's got all all, all of everything hanging out. Her shorts are super short and her shirt's super low. And I want to look at that young lady and say, where in the world is your father? How could your dad let you walk out of the door like that so that you could just be a piece of meat for every teenage boy and sick, perverted adult man to look at and lust over? What we need are some men who will look at that, sit on that couch and that daughter walks by and say, turn yourself around, young lady, and go put, put something else on. If she gives you an attitude, then you just keep her home that night. I'm not a fan of dropping your daughter off in the mall anyway. I, I think that's I think that's crazy. Uh, But uh, we need some men that will take a stand against sin and take a stand against worldliness and say, we're not going to look like the world. We're not going to act like the world. We are not going to love the world. I'm talking about a man who will take a stand against TV and movie habits. Say, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It is a big deal. What you look at, what you listen to affects who you are in your heart and how you behave. I'm talking about a man who's compliant to God in these areas first and then leading his family to be compliant next. I'm talking about a man who takes a stand for church attendance in his home. I'm talking about a man who takes a stand against worldliness. By the way, on that church attendance thing, I want to make sure I say this here. Just because one person in your home is sick, that doesn't mean everybody should stay home. Are you hearing me on this? I want you to hear me on this. Just because the baby of the house is sick doesn't mean as a man you get to sit home and say, well, I can't go because the baby's sick. 
Now, I'm not here to, to I'm not going to walk in your house and drag you out. This is, a, this is as tough and this is as strong as I'm going to get it. But look, in my home, I grew up, I'm the oldest of seven children. In my home, if I was sick, my dad took the other six to church and my mom stayed home. Maybe in the morning, then my dad would stay home with me in the evening while my mom went to church. And, uh, and accommodations were made. If there were multiple ones of the sick, then the ones that were sick stayed home with one parent, and then everyone else got home. And then when I got to be a teenager, if I was sick, I stayed home by myself, and everybody else went to church without me. You know why? Because we're to put God and our love for God ahead of our love for family. And so I'm talking about taking a stand for church attendance. I'm talking about taking a stand against worldliness. And I'm talking about taking a stand for righteousness. You know, Dad, the best thing that could ever happen, husband, the best thing that could ever happen is for your wife to see you sitting on the edge of the bed in the morning reading your Bible. The best thing that could happen to your wife is for her to catch you on your knees in a time of prayer. The best thing that could happen for your wife is for you to grab her by the hand and snuggle up to her at nighttime and hold her close to you and say, before we go to sleep tonight together, why don't we have a word of prayer and let's pray. Let's grow together in the grace of God. Let's be heirs together of the grace of life as First Peter 3 describes. A stand for righteousness. Um, sir, could it be that your wife is having a hard time submitting to you because she sees that you are not submissive to the Lord? I'm talking about Joseph having a heart of compliance toward God. God said to Joseph multiple times in Matthew 1 and 2, he said, Joseph, I want you to do this. And he, Joseph immediately got up and obeyed. And number four, we see his courage during opposition. His courage during opposition. I'm going to quickly give you an A to B and I'll be done here. Letter A, notice his protection of Mary. Look down with me at Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 13. Matthew 2 verse 13, the Bible says, well, let me give you the background first before we read this. Ta- tax collection has driven Joseph and Mary, very pregnant Mary, to Bethlehem, the, the birthplace of David, their forefather. And there they are paying their taxes. And we know the story about how um, uh, Mary gives birth to baby Jesus there in that stable back behind the hotel. And uh, uh, they uh, find a place to reside and rest for several months while Mary recovers from giving birth. And uh, baby Jesus gets to a place of strength where he can be taken on a long journey back home. While they're there, some wise men come from the east. I, my opinion is they probably came from Babylon. And first they come into Jerusalem and they say to Herod, hey, where is the king that's been born? The king of the Jews. And, and Herod is envious and Herod uh, devises a plot to send the wise men there and then be brought to Jesus so that he can kill him. And so the wise men go on and and worship baby Jesus in Bethlehem. And then God sends a dream to these wise men and the wise men go home a different way and, and don't ever go tell Herod what's going on. Herod realizes that he's been duped. Herod realizes that he's been lied to or rather been deceived by these wise men. And through much carefulness, God has redirected them and they did not come back. Uh, Actually, Matthew 2 uses the word mocked. He felt mocked. And so uh, Herod uh, decrees an edict. Herod decrees an edict that all babies two year old and under in Bethlehem are to be killed. Now, Joseph is the leader of the home. It's on him to get baby Jesus out of harm's way. Look at verse 13 of Matthew 2. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. 
When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, out of Egypt have I called my son. Now, let me let me point out a couple of things here about uh, the departure uh, uh, by Joseph, the dream and the departure. Notice that his departure was immediate. He didn't say, well, you know, I had a long day and I'm tired. And so let me finish uh, uh, sleeping through the night. And then I'll get up and I'll, I'll take the family to Egypt. That's not what he said. The angel came to the middle of the night and said, hey, listen, people are on the way to get you. And Joseph said, OK, up he got and out he went. His obedience was immediate. And I also want to point out that his obedience was flawless. Flawless. He did exactly what he was told. Exactly what he, he was told. Now, let me draw a parallel here for you. Just like Herod. You listen this morning, just like Herod, Satan has sent forth his edict to destroy your marriage. I don't care if you've been married one month or 50 years, 60 years. There is an edict been put out by Satan and he's constantly working to take down your marriage. You might have a thriving marriage right now. I'm telling you, you are still a candidate. Just like Joseph, God has given you a command to flee from sin, the land of sin, and to the protection of righteous living. For you to live, I've got to stay behind the pulpit because I don't have a microphone. For you to live with sin in your heart, for you to live and allow sin to remain in your home, you know what you're doing is you're allowing Satan to very carefully, subtly, slowly destroy your marriage. It's corroding your marriage away. What you need to do is today, you need to get up. I mean, as soon as the sermon's over, maybe even during the invitation, you grab your wife's hand and you get down at this altar and you tell the Lord, you say, there's some things in our home that's got to go. There's some habits in our home that need to begin. And you get away from the land of sin. You get that stuff out of your marriage and you don't allow Satan's edict to turn you and your marriage into another statistic. Letter A, we see his protection of Mary. Letter B, we see his prudence with Mary. Look down at verse 19 of Matthew 2. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the young child for his mother and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead, which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. So uh, he was given a very generic command. Take Mary and Joseph or, or rather take Mary and baby Jesus and go back into uh, go back into Israel. But he wasn't told where to go. Look at verse 22. But when he heard that our Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside in the, into the parts of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was sp spoken by the prophet, he uh, shall be called a Nazarene. What happened here? He came back in, he came back in, and he looked at the situation of where they were, and he said, I, can't, I don't know if I can live there. The man who sought to kill uh, my son, uh, he wants to, uh, his son is now reigning, reigning instead. That might not be the best spot. You know what he was doing? He was being a watchtower. He was having uh, foresight. He was having uh, uh, wisdom to look at the situation. And he was being a skeptic toward potential danger. 
One of the hardest things to do that I find as a husband and a dad is to say to my wife or my children, just say, listen, I know that you don't agree with my decision, but I can see how a little step this direction can end up leading to great destruction. I know you don't agree with it, but I just need you to trust me. I just need you to trust me. I I have preached hard this morning. Ladies, I'm not going to preach that hard to you tonight. I promise you can come back. Be nice to you this evening. Men, we need our toes stepped on sometimes, don't we? We need to be reminded of what God has called us to do. Here's the idea. You get a backbone of steel when it comes to what's right and wrong. You take the Bible, you read it. You say, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to have a biblical marriage. I'm going to be a biblical husband. I am going to have a steel, of st- a steel rod for a backbone when it comes to my standards, my convictions, uh, what I believe. However, you don't use that steel rod to beat anybody. You wrap that steel rod with, with velvet. And you have a spirit of consideration and kindness. You cherish, you date your wife, you love your wife. And all along... You are compliant to the Lord and you have a courage to lead your family where they ought to go. In America, what we need is we need to put the man back in masculinity. We need to put masculinity back in the man. We need men to be men. We need men who will lovingly lead and be a servant in their home. There's a famous pastor of yesteryear named Lee Robertson. He's, a, uh, he's, give, he's been given credit for this statement. Here's the statement. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Everything rises and falls on leadership. What we need to fix our country is a country full of men who will lead like Joseph. What we need is a state, a state full of men who will lead like Joseph. What we need is a city full of men who will lead like Joseph. What we need is a church full of men who will lead their wives and homes like Joseph. What we need is you, men. We need you and we need me to lead our wives and our children. You need to lead your wife and your children like Joseph did. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Satan is full on assault trying to tear down the men of our homes. Has he gotten to you? Even in a small way, has he gotten to you? Are you more concerned with looking and feeling the social norms? Or are you looking to follow biblical norms? It's time that as men we rededicate ourselves to leading our homes the way we ought to. Lord, I pray this morning that you'd help us. Would you help us as we Seek to know what a godly husband is, all, is supposed to be. And then we, we work hard to become that. God, it is your grace that breaks down old habits. It is your hand of strength. It is your Holy Spirit's power that builds up the right habits. And Lord, it is our submission to you that allows that process to happen. Some instances, some cases, some situations, that process is immediate. Other Habits, other sin. Lord, it's a work of progress. God, I pray that the men of this church would be strong 
when it comes to standing for what's right, but soft and tender toward their wives. And Lord, submissive and obedient to you. Lord, may our church be an example of what marriage is supposed to look like, of what the home is supposed to look like. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, how many here today would say, Pastor, in some way or another, God's touched my heart the preaching of the word this morning. Would you pray for me? Would you pray for me this morning? Somewhere or another, God has touched my heart. You don't have to be a man to raise your hand. You can be a woman. You can, you can be a child. You can be an, a, an elderly uh, saint in the Lord. God's words touch your heart. How many here today say, Pastor, I pray. I, I want to ask this question to those of you that are, that are unmarried, that hope to get married one day. Those of you in the back, young ladies in the back, please quit playing around. Please listen to what I'm saying. Those of you that aren't married yet, whether you're a child or maybe even a, an adult who hopes to get married one day, how many here today would say, Pastor, thank you for the message. I have been better reminded of what I ought to be looking for in a husband or I know what I ought to be one day when I am a husband. Pastor, pray for me that I will seek out those things. That's you, just raise your hand. How many here today say, Pastor, I am a husband. There are some areas of growth I see God moving in my heart today. Pray that God would mold me into the man he wants me to be. To all the married men here today, if that's you, would you just raise your hand? I see some areas I need to grow in. Lord, I pray today that you'd help us to take these things and impress them on our hearts. In Jesus' name, let's stand to our feet. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Piano's playing, the altar's open. Some of you men can take your wives by the hand and come down, kneel and pray together. Dedicate your marriage to the Lord. Ask God to help you. Some of you youth can come and kneel and ask that God would either... You girls, that God would help you to find the right woman, the right right man one day. Some of you guys, that God would help you to be the right man someday. 